Welcome. You are listening to Conversations from Christchurch Cranbrook. We are a faith community located in Metro Detroit who have been transformed by God's acceptance, love, and grace. Whoever you are, wherever you find yourself on the journey of faith today, we pray this podcast will feed your soul and inspire your spirit. go ahead and get started. Uh, thank you all for being here. Uh, I'm Venetia Dostert. I'm one of the priests here at Christchurch Cranbrook, and um, we are continuing this phenomenal forum where we're talking about ways in which we can thrive, um, not just deal with difficulties, um, survive the pain, but then actually thrive in the midst of our lives. It's very exciting. I think it's a, a great idea. Um, and so, so today um, I will be doing forgiveness. Just as a reminder, uh, we, have, um, we have already covered the beautiful question about our own faith helping us to thrive and how our connections can help us to thrive. And um, I, I encourage you to go back um, on our webpage. We have we have all of these archives, so you can watch all of them at your own time or podcast them, whatever works for you, um, so that you can continue to work on this. You can see that we're also going to cover resilience and gratitude and generosity. Um, forgiveness kind of doesn't fit into these, you know, because, because the others seem like something that a person who's thriving would do, have faith, be connections, very, very positive, optimistic. Forgiveness um, already assumes that something went wrong, right? And so, so I, I'm kind of excited about this because to me, this is uh, incredibly realistic. Uh, forgiveness is uh, about our deep, deep brokenness. And, um, and, and then, you know, given that that's a, non, a non-starter, um, that we're all gonna be broken, that we're all gonna experience brokenness, then how is it that we can thrive? Um, so I'm going to tell you what books I'm using. Um, we are all using the post-traumatic thriving book that was written by Randall Bell. I think he's a, is he a sociologist, Bill? Yeah. yeah he's a sociologist, and, um, and he has a lot of interesting little tidbits in there, and some psychology in there, too. Um, I, ha- I also am drawing on another book called Good Morning, I Love You by Shana Shapiro. This book was given to me by my best friend when I was in a really bad place and um, where I was dealing with some issues of self-worth and self-image. And she said, you need to have this book. And my friend is uh, crunchy, shall we say. And so I was like, I really don't want to read this. But because I love her, I did. And there was some interesting stuff about forgiveness in there. So I thought I'd include that. And I'm also drawing on the ultimate self-help book, um, in the world, the Bible. Um, I find it. I find it absolutely extraordinary. And so, some of that, some of that, my thoughts are from that. So, let's talk about what what we're going to cover today. <laughs> um, I'd like to talk about why we actually need to have forgiveness. Like, what's the purpose of that? I want to talk about what forgiveness actually isn't. Uh, and then I want to I want to ask, like, why should I forgive? Why? What is what, what, what animates me to want to do this or to seek forgiveness? And then, and then I have a toolbox for forgiveness. 
um, which are like just various practices that you can use um, throughout your, your journey of life that may or may not be helpful for you. So you take whatever you want from the toolbox. It's like Ace Hardware. You go in, buy what you want, and leave all the rest of the tools for some other bloke who can figure out what to do with it. So, um, and then hopefully at the end, if we have time, I would love to hear what you all think. Um, because you are practitioners of forgiveness. Um, you are practitioners of receiving forgiveness. And so um, you actually have some experience in all this. So why do we need forgiveness? Um, when I was growing up, I had a mother who was um, easily hurt. She was easily harmed by people. This was the way that she was made. And I remember one day after she... Um, hung up the, the rotary phone back then that we had and, uh, in anger and with another friend in, in which uh, the relationship was broken. She turned to me and she said, you know, Manisha, relationships are like a string and they're whole and they're complete and then somebody breaks them. And it was her way of saying, like, you can never have a perfect relationship. And in my mother's story, she just stopped trying because every relationship broke. And I was so struck by this, and I've kept this, this idea of the broken string throughout my whole entire life. And, and I began to look at people as just pieces of broken rope that, that were frayed at the edges, that there was nothing, nothing that made it whole again. And then I began to realize, like, maybe there is an act two. Maybe there is something beyond that initial pain and trauma and suffering. Maybe there is hope for us to make some sort of mending, some sort of new thing. And so I began to realize that why we need forgiveness is we do break but we need to be tied together again. And so I'm hoping that we can sort of think about that idea of, first of all, acknowledging that no, no relationship will be that perfect string, but that all relationships, all of our manners of life are made up of knotted rope. So, let me ask you, what is not forgiveness? Forgiveness is not forgetting. Um, Bell, in his book, said one of the most harmful, damaging statements in the topic of healing is to say to someone, forgive and forget. Right? We've all heard that. <laughs> it's actually really, really problematic because to forget something is to say like it never happened. It's going back to that, that normal string. That's just not true. Instead, forgiveness is about integrating what has happened to you or what you have done. Um, somehow reconciling all of that together as one. So don't think of forgiveness as forgetting something, which I think is really freeing. Because if you're always constantly like trying to, to forget something, you're, you're kind of battling yourself. You're kind of like, ah, ah, I 
remembered again. I must have not forgiven. And it, that's just not true. But if you're able to look at that memory, if you're able to, to manage that and say, I can look at this differently, um, then you are beginning the act of forgiving. Forgiveness does not replace the work of surviving trauma. So when traumatic events happen, it is essential for you to do the work to face them. So you need to go through an anger process. You need to shut down. You need to express rage. You need to become numb. You need to sort of be in that fog. All of those things need to happen. Forgiveness does not forfeit that work. That work has to happen in the beginning. And Bell is also reminding us that you don't forfeit your legal rights. You don't forfeit the responsibility to report a crime. And you don't remain in a toxic relationship. All of that work needs to happen. And that's how you deal with trauma and you survive with trauma. Um, if you don't do this work, forgiveness will actually um, not, not be helpful. It will be harmful because it's happening too soon. Right? I mean, I think we all get this deep down, right? We all understand, like, there's a process that needs to happen. I can't just flip a switch. And that's why it's really important to remember that forgiveness is not an on and off switch, right? It's not like, okay, today, I have forgiven you. It doesn't work that way. Um, in fact, self-guided forgiveness takes into consideration that we're listening to ourselves. Um, that we're paying attention and we're trusting ourselves in this whole process. And sometimes we just don't want to forgive, right? I mean, do you recognize that? When you are the one who needs to give forgiveness, sometimes you just need space. And you need to create that opportunity where you're doing your, your trauma work, you're doing your survivor work, and so that you can get to a place where you can talk about forgiveness. And here's the interesting thing is that if you're not there yet, it's actually part of your body's coping mechanism. It's, um, it's you dosing out how to uh, experience the pain of what you had experienced. Um, and this works both if you are the, the one who caused the pain and if you're the one who's experiencing the pain. So you, you, you recognize that there's a time element to this and you honor that time element. Um, and you just, you just proceed trusting in yourself, knowing that you are doing the right th thing. Um, in fact, Bell will say that premature forgiveness is actually re-traumatizing. So if you try it too early, you can actually harm yourself and, and revisit the trauma on yourself. I think the other thing I would say about this is um, those of you all and me who are engaged in the act of forgiving and being forgiven, um, it can't be something binary like an on-off switch because it's kind of a mystery, right? I mean, you sort of kind of fall into it. It's not measurable. The, the, the increments in which you 
um, enter into this space of forgiveness, it's not, it's not a linear pathway, but it sort of kind of happens around you and within you. Um, and I think that's the work of God. I think that is God um, doing things in God's ways which are necessarily mysterious to us. We do good okay? Okay, okay, all right, good, okay. Forgiveness is not holding a grudge. Obvious, right? <laughs> so, but I, I, love, I love what this, uh, the psychologist said about holding a grudge. So I'm going to read this to you because I found it really helpful. Um, so if you think about when you're, when you're in the process of trying to get to the point where you can forgive someone, um, and let's just say that someone did some harm to you, for, for example, six. Someone did something really wrong to you. And you're like, I've had it with that person. <laughs> and I don't want to talk to them. And, they, and they're trying to make amends. And you're not really responding to them. And, and you know, you're like, gosh, I'm such a horrible person. Am I holding a grudge? Well, here's the difference. Holding a grudge is a more active feeling that we obsess over and take unhealthy actions. So holding a grudge is something that you're going to obsess over and take unhealthy actions. In the normal work of recovering from a trauma, you have to set boundaries. And that's normative and normal. And so there may be people that you're sort of um, remanaging the relationship with. And that's a little bit about protecting yourself, right, through the process as you're trying to get through it. It's not about seeking revenge. It's not about holding like a hardcore grudge against them. And if you do have that, you should seek some help because that is incredibly unhealthy and you have not done the work of being able to survive that trauma. And um, you could use some help with that. And here's the other interesting thing is when you hold a grudge, you end up sort of being hyper-vigilant against, against the persons or person, and you do that because you're afraid, and you actually create another cycle of being re-victimized. And I was just so struck by this idea, this is not my own, this is, this is Belle's idea, that um, when you refuse to, to uh, interact and hold a grudge, that you actually create a new trauma cycle in which you're being victimized um, over and over again by the person you can't stand. And I, I thought about this. I thought, this kind of explains what's going on among, um, among Americans. You know, in some ways, sides are holding grudges against each other, the left and the right, and so on and so forth. And, and so they've created this new kind of cycle of trauma in which they're, they're being re-victimized because of that grudge, um, which I, I just thought that was really interesting. So forgiveness has nothing to do with those grudges, okay? So that's what forgiveness is not. Why should you forgive? There's a story of two war veterans who were um, POWs, prisoners of wars. And they, they meet decades later. And the one asks the other, 
have you forgiven our captors? And the other responds, no, never. And so his friend says, well, then you're still in prison. We forgive because we need to get out of our own prison. And it's really hard to hear that, especially if you are a victim of trauma, which is the assumption here. Um, You need to be free. And so that should push you to do some of this hard, hard work. Because with freedom, there's so much you can do. One of the things you can do with freedom is you can love. Um, When you are bound by issues of either needing forgiveness or needing to forgive, um, it actually impairs your ability to love. I'm going to say that again because that blows my mind. When you are working on issues of forgiving someone else or being forgiven by someone, it impairs your ability to love. And I I think that's extraordinary because I would like to think that they're not related, (laughs) right? I would like to think that that, um, the problems that I have in one area of my life don't affect the other, but they're all very interrelated. And so when you um, are dealing with something in which you need to create um, capacity for forgiving or to be forgiven, um, it will affect the way you love. And so forgiveness requires immense courage for you to face your own shadows and to face the shadows of others and to recognize that we're all suffering and that it is in everyone's best interest to figure out how to manage the suffering and look past it. Um, One of the the psychologists that I read said that um, the painful episodes that we experience in trauma um, do something, she called it calcifies our hearts. So I want you to think of a very robust heart um, that's working really well and all of a sudden there's pain and trauma and there's all this mess that happens and all of a sudden the heart has trouble Um, beating again. This actually happens to real people, (laughs) physiologically. This is what heart failure looks like, right? Um, But what she says is that when you begin the process of forgiveness, it helps dissolve the petrified emotional barriers that then allows your heart to beat fully and for you to freely love. So I offer you this beautiful... Um, little quote from Rumi your task is not to seek for love but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it that is why we forgive Another reason to forgive or to be forgiven is, um, is to imagine a world that is opposite, a world without any mercy. 
Do you want to live in a world without mercy? If, if we had no mercy in this world, if we have no forgiveness in this world, actually Hannah Arendt did some work on this. Um, uh, what's her book called? The Human Condition, I think? Yeah, so in this book, which was written in the 40s, and Hannah Arendt is, was a Jew, um, so she was dealing with the aftermath of World War II, and she was a great philosopher, way beyond my understanding. Father Bill probably knows her back and up and down and sideways, but um, I just was always stuck, struck by um, what she said, which is um, she talked about forgiveness, and she actually believed that the idea of forgiveness came from Jesus of Nazareth, like it originated from him. I don't think she's right about that, but I thought that was very nice of her to say that. Um, and, and, and she talks about how... Um, Without forgiveness, what would happen, right? We'd all be those ropes that would be broken. And, and the natural response to something that breaks us is to do in kind, right? To return the favor, right? Um, every action has an equal but opposite reaction. So you did this to me, I'll do it to you, and so on and so forth. And she saw that as something that actually would preclude us from being our full humans, um, from being generative in some ways. And she saw forgiveness as the most unique act that a human being can do because it doesn't, it's not, it's not an equal and opposite response. It's a new response. So why you forgive? Because you're actually doing something remarkable unexpected. What's expected is reaction, revenge, retribution. What is not expected is mercy and forgiveness. Here's another good reason to forgive. Um, last time I checked, we all got bodies. <laughs> Our bodies don't do really well <laughs> with trauma. <laughs> Our bodies can't handle long-term stress. <laughs> Um, there's this, in the Bell book, um, he does a really great job explaining it physiologically. He talks about the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system and, and cortisol and adrenaline and all this stuff. And, and needless to say, um, your body has normal, natural ways to help you when you're in trouble, right? You know that adrenaline rush you get. You know, you know that that's sort of like when, some, when a crisis is happening, your mind is running and running. That's the cortisol running through your veins to make sure everything is revved up and revved up. And if you keep doing that, if you keep that revved up, if you keep throwing stress and brooding and anger and resentment at your body, that cortisol and that epinephrine, that adrenaline, it starts to harm your body. It starts to cause all kinds of horrible things to happen to your uh, blood vessel system, it, it hardens arteries, it, 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 it ruins your muscles, and it's just, there are long-term effects for this. And so um, the psychologists love to remind us, like, pay attention to your body. Um, that's another reason to forget. Um, here's something really interesting that Bell brought up. If you don't forgive, you are spending time fixating on someone's bad behavior. How does that affect your own behavior? 
I thought that was a really fascinating question. I was like, oh, because see, we're limited and we're finite. And as limited, finite persons, we can only spend our, our, our time thinking and wondering about so many things. If you're spending your time thinking and wondering about the, the person or persons who have harmed you or the harm that you're causing to others, it's affecting the rest of you, your own behavior. So I thought that was kind of interesting. All right. In the Gospel of John, there's this fascinating thing that happens. Jesus is raised from the dead. It's Sunday morning. He shows up. And Mary is there at the tomb, wondering what the heck is going on. And that, that Sunday morning, she finds out the good news. She goes and runs and tells the disciples. And of course, they don't believe her. <laughs> so they're sitting in a room Sunday evening. And it's locked because they're super afraid. They're like, somebody's going to come and kill us too, like they killed Jesus. And Jesus shows up. And he says, peace be with you. And he breathes on them, the Holy Spirit. And then he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. He gives his disciples, you and me, these cosmic powers to forgive as it is on earth and heaven and retain. And I am struck by this. I am overwhelmed by this idea. I mean, I'm not really sure how this works, but it's extraordinary to think that a victim has the power in heaven, as it is on earth, to retain the sins. And I don't know about you, but that's a whole lot of authority that I didn't plan on carrying on my shoulders. And I'm like, get this off, get this off. Like, oh my gosh, yes, I'll forgive you because I do not want you struggling for eternity because of me, right? I mean, there's something really interesting about that. There's something quite motivating about that. There's something quite powerful, and I think Jesus knew that, right? If you forgive, they're forgiven them. If you retain, they retain. Why wouldn't I want to figure out how to forgive the person? This is my final one. You guys holding on with me? Everything yeah, okay? Okay, okay, good, good, okay. Why forgive? Um, so my mom talked about the cord, the, the string, right? Uh, the broken string. Um, here's an, uh, another metaphor, if you will. Um, broken pottery, right? Um, some of you might recognize this in your own life. This is how it feels. You're just broken. Um, and again, I want to emphasize, uh, I, my, I'm noticing that my tendency is to talk about you needing to forgive someone, but this works the other way around, when you need forgiveness as well. Um, you're broken. You're absolutely broken. So there is no fixing this to make it look like it used to look. 
But there is something, this beautiful understanding of art and philosophy, and I would say theology, that comes out of Japan. And it's called kintsugi. And kint means gold, and sugi means repair. The golden repair. What kintsugi is, is repairing broken pottery by mending the areas of breakage with lacquer, dusted or mixed with powdered gold, silver, or platinum, with the understanding that the piece is more beautiful for having been broken. Why forgive? Because when you have suffered, when you've been damaged, and when you hold on to that history, and you're not afraid of it, you don't try to hide it, but you show it with beauty, you actually become more beautiful. In fact, this idea of kintsugi believes that it's the artifact's unique history that brings it its beauty. So, how to forgive and be forgiveness. This is um, a toolbox that I put together of various um, different ways that you can actually um, act in forgiveness. And so I hope that you realize like it requires some work, right? It requires you to be active and, and mindful. What's cool to me is um, I admit that I thought forgiveness was part of being a survivor, not thriving. But I think, I think it's part of thriving because doing these new things in your life, uh, acting in these, these not normal ways, taking on um, this work, actually allows you to thrive. So when we think of the word thriving, I think that sometimes we do ourselves a disservice in, in trying to imagine that somebody who's thriving looks a certain way and acts a certain way. In other words, we think they're positive, we think they're optimistic, we think they got it all together, we think that they're, you know, got, got the, the family and work-life balance and all of those things, you know, that's what we think of thriving. We don't think that someone who's in the active work of trying to forgive or be forgiving is thriving. And let me say, I don't think that's true. I think that is exactly what thriving looks like because you're willing to enter into that space and do that work. So what are some ways that we can begin this work of forgiving and being forgiven? First one's gonna blow your mind, ready? <laughs> Talk about it. <laughs> Sounds so banal. <laughs> oh my gosh, can I just tell you, there is something about talking about it over and over again in different ways with different peoples and different modes that actually does this deep work of forgiveness. When you talk about it, you actually reduce the stress that the trauma has caused. When you talk about it, you're not solving anything. You're not fixing, you're not finding a solution, but you're relieving the pressure 
Um, and that can allow you um, to heal and move forward. When you talk about it, you establish a narrative and you put the story in the midst of other stories and you begin to make connections. My therapist says to me that the way you deal with trauma is you connect. That is the way to move forward and that's what talking can do. Um, and here's the other really interesting thing that Bell said, that when you talk about the thing, the event, the, the problems that you're having, it begins to shift your memories and where they actually reside, right? Um, because they begin in your amygdala, which my nurse friend is going to make sure that I got this right, right? That's part of your parasympathetic nervous system. That's the way that you immediately kind of respond to things. You fight, flight, flee. Um, that's where that is. And that's where your, your memories stay when you've first been traumatized. But as you talk about it, as you begin to um, put some, some thoughts around it, uh, you move that memory into your hippocampus. Is that right? Um, or somewhere, somewhere in your sympathetic or your more advanced nervous system. And that is where you actually can control your emotions, where you have some power over the memory so it doesn't re-traumatize you, so that you actually have a different narrative and a different way of being with that. So this requires time. It requires you to invest in the time. Um, so remember that when you're doing this work, you're thriving. So you can afford to take the time. It's not something that you have to get over so that you can thrive. You're actually thriving when you do that. Okay. Here's something else for your toolbox. Hope that you can forgive or be forgiven. Hope, hope. I, I love this. This is what the psychologist said, Bell said. He said, merely hoping for forgiveness is a tangible step to achieve it. Did you hear that? Like, all you had to do is like, well, I hope I can forgive that person. Boom, you're thriving. I just love that. Because like sometimes forgiving and being forgiven is super, super hard. But just wanting it is actually putting you in a space where you are being your fullest, best possible self. Uh, he even says, even a scant or half-hearted effort is a step in the right direction. I love that. Hope, hope. Um, that's going to be used a lot in my toolbox. <laughs> okay. Uh, this church has um, helped me realize the importance of... Um, talking about mindful meditation. It's something that Father Bill brought in before the pandemic from University of Michigan, and I've heard it um, talked about a lot. Um, and um, and I, I offer this to you uh, and uh, with a little bit of trepidation, I guess I should say, because I, I, don't, I don't have the same kind of understanding of mindfulness and meditation. I'm, I'm uh, born and raised in an East, uh, South Indian religion, um, so meditation looks a lot different for, for Indians than it does um, for the West. But um, I thought this was really helpful. Um, so let me offer this to you. So if you need to forgive or be forgiven, the idea is to take some time to meditate. And so it has three 
three different, um, uh, uh, three different things that you're supposed to do. The first step that you're supposed to take is to reflect on what happened. So again, taking time, reflecting on that, paying attention to the senses that are being um, evoked, uh, and just putting some, some space around that. The second thing is you're supposed to attend to how that affects you. What are you noticing about you? Are you starting to get angry? Are you starting to um, feel, feel less, less clear? Are you having some problems? I love the third step. The third step is a mantra that you say over and over until you're done. And the mantra is, may I forgive blank? May I forgive blank? Just saying it over and over. Or, may I be forgiven? May I be forgiven? I think that that is probably an essence of hope, yeah? So here's another thing for anything. Okay, this next one is very interesting. Um, you guys have heard, and Father Chris mentioned last week, Gary Chapman, who created the five love languages. If you don't know about it, Google it and then take the quiz. It's kind of fun and, you know, in a cosmopolitan magazine kind of way. Um, I, just, I just like those quizzes. So, so um, he also wrote another book um, called The Five Languages of Apology. Um, and I think this is really interesting. He has a quiz for that too on his website. So go ahead and try to take that quiz. And, and what this says is we all have different ways of recognizing apologies and giving apologies. Um, so five different ways to recognize and give apologies. Uh, they are expressing regret, accepting responsibility, repenting genuinely, making restitution, requesting forgiveness. They all sound the same to me when I first read them, but I, there's, there's nuances to them. And I, um, it was funny, I, I, I tried to make my husband take this quiz, which never ever ends up happening, because he's always got this really like long convoluted way of saying, no, hell no, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so he was like, uh, Manisha, the problem I have with this is the assumption that you would only use one kind of language, and when I think really they're nuanced and they work really well together, and actually you find that you're using multiple, and I was like, okay, whatever, that's probably true, <laughs> right? But, but I think it's interesting to think about like, First of all, how you recognize someone is um, repentant. Um, so, so the first one, I see you guys taking pictures. Of, we are going to have these available, right, Father Chris? They'll be available on the website. So you, and we have, we're also recording it. So um, you can have a, a copy of that too, So if that's helpful. Um, okay. How do you express regret? Well, you say, you say, oh my gosh. <laughs> I feel horrible for what I did to you. I, I'm, it just, I, I really, really am sorry that I did that to you. So that's regret, okay? When you accept responsibility, you say, you know, when I did this, so it's looking past, it's looking at your history. Um, that's accepting responsibility. When I did this and this and this, I was really wrong to have done that. I shouldn't have done that. 
That was my mistake. And so someone who likes this wants to hear that you know what you did wrong, right? When you repent genuinely, um, this is saying, I just think I've caused you so much pain and I hate that that happened and I'm not gonna do that again. And here's what, here's what I'm gonna do differently from now on. So there, there's, a, there's a forward looking uh, way to this. So it, you're saying, I'm gonna act differently. So the one is backwards, the one is forwards. All right, making restitution. I'm so gonna make it up to you. Here comes the flowers and the chocolate and, and I'm gonna do the dishes for a whole week, right? I mean, you're gonna figure out a way to make up for this. Um, and then the fifth one is actually the one that Jesus recommends. Will you forgive me? And um, I wanna say something, I've been thinking about this for years and I, I don't know if it's right or not, but I think asking someone will you forgive me, is very different from saying, I'm sorry. Because I am sorry has everything to do with that person. Will you forgive me? Puts you in this place of deep vulnerability where you have to let the other person do the work with you. And that maybe is the knot tying. Um, so here's another thing for your toolbox. I gotta tell you how many I have. I forgot to tell you that. I got seven. Okay, so we're almost done. Um, five, increase your emotional intelligence. This is from a Dan, uh, what's his name? Dan Bell? No. What is it? Yeah, Mr. Bell. Um, this is from the, the book, Post Traumatic Thriving. Um, he talks about your EQ, your emotional intelligence. And um, what your emotional intelligence is, is the ability to control your emotions rather than letting your emotions control you. <laughs> they control. This is the hardest one for me. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> I am a roller coaster. So um, this is your, your capacity to identify and monitor and manage your emotions. Um, and, and apparently, uh, he, he, let's see, he made this crazy cold chart that I'm just like, okay, this is overwhelming. Um, so let me, let me try to explain this to you. Andrew, I'm going to the slide here. Um, okay, so this is unhealthy behavior and this is healthy behavior. So that has to do with you. Like, are you acting unhealthy or are you acting healthy? And then this is if you're in a good environment or a bad environment. So if you're in a negative situation, a bad environment, or if you're in a really positive situation or a good environment. So this is internal, this is external, right? So if your internal and external sucks, <laughs> right? Um, and you're not doing the work and it's a terrible place to be, you end up with antisocial behaviors and you're embittered and you're angry, raging, blamer, abusive, disdainful, mean, and deceitful. Anyone want to read? No, <laughs> just joking. Okay, um, so, so that's, what, that's, that's obviously not a great place to be. Um, it is ironically where I think everyone who experiences trauma begins um, because that to me seems to be the place where internal and external kind of implode. Uh, let's say 
that your situation changes, but you don't. <laughs> you're still dealing with your internal issues, but your situation gets a little bit better. Then you're a narcissist and you're superficial because you haven't met yourself. I know, right? right? And you deal with depression. You're shallow. You're fake. You flaunt things. You're vain, selfish, and oblivious. So, so far, I think we can agree none of these things really are uh, what, uh, what we want um, as for ourselves or for others. So let's move over to the next quadrant. So let's say that you're still in a harmful place externally, but you are doing your internal work. And maybe this is the one that we can um, say is probably more realistic in our lives than anything else, right? So up here, you show courage and wisdom. I love that, courage and wisdom. Um, if you think about, if you're in a place that is not healthy, but you're wise, that means you know. You know better. You know what it should look like, and you know that it doesn't. Uh, and the way that you are up there is forgiving, you're responsible, you're empathetic, you're authentic, you're warm, and you're ethical. And now, utopia. <laughs> where everything is working, and may this happen to each one of you every day. When you are your best possible self in the best possible place, you are kind and you're full of passion. And the way that you act, you're grateful, you're accepting, you're fun, you're happy, and very interestingly, you're inclusive. You embrace everything. So the idea is one of your toolbox for forgiveness is to increase your capacity to be able to do these things. Um, your EQ, emotional qualities. Okay. One of the things that I've noticed over my years of experience of forgiving and being forgiven is um, it is a, it's, it's like going to the gym if I ever did that, which I don't, <laughs> but, but it's like, you know, you go, I watch my friends, I watch my, my clergy friends who go to the gym all the time, and, um, and it's a habit to them, right? It's just practice, they, they, it's just part of, of the way that they live. Um, I think Father Chris was talking about in the sermon, the rule of life. Um, one of the rule of lives, rules of life that you can have is to be slow to anger and quick to forgive. They're connected. Um, practicing ways in which you can uh, not get triggered. Practicing ways that you don't um, fall into uh, the bad habits that you have of showing anger um, can actually help you manage your gift of forgiving. So it's a habit and it requires you using that muscle often. Um, so sometimes working on the anger can help you with the forgiveness. Okay, last one. You guys okay? Yes. Okay. Um, I, I find the most important toolbox or tool in my toolbox for forgiveness is to lean on God's forgiveness toward me. So, um, I don't know about you, but every time that I say the Lord's Prayer, and I get to the point where we say, 
Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. In my mind's eye, I am always thinking about that person. You know, that person who did me wrong or whom I really was not kind to. And I realize that as I contemplate what God is doing right now for me, forgiving me for all the ways that I fall short, for all the ways that I, I do harm to others, for all the ways that I don't do what I'm supposed to do, that that is all I need to be able to forgive the other. This is fascinating because what this says is that there isn't this like immediate um, direct connection. Your forgiveness of someone else doesn't really have to do with that person. It has to do with what God has done for you. So your forgiveness is irrespective of the person. And you being forgiven is irrespective of what you've done. It has to do with God, what God has done for you. There's this parable, this really weird parable in, in, the, um, in the Bible where uh, there's a, a servant who owes the king a gazillion trillion dollars, like almost that much. You know, you think, you think a three trillion dollar spending plan, so this guy owes the king more. <laughs> and he's like, forgive me. And the king says, okay, I forgive you. All erased. Then that dear sweet servant turns around and he sees his buddy and he's like, hey, I paid for lunch the other day. You owe me. And the guy's like, ah, I don't have any money. I don't have any money. He's like, well, then you're going to jail. And he gets the guy thrown into jail because he didn't pay his debt. And, and Jesus is like, what? Did you not, did, did, weren't you? The amount of forgiveness that God shows us is generative for us to turn around and forgive the little that we've experienced. Now, I say that very carefully because there is immense trauma that we have experienced. Um, and, and it is profound and deep and real. And the God who forgives you has given you the power to forgive Lean on God's forgiveness. My final remembrance of God is to go back to the rope um, and the broken rope and the hope of tying it all together. There's a beautiful scripture that um, comes from the book of Ecclesiastes and it talks about um, how two people are better than one. And we use it a lot in weddings, right? Say, you know, it's, you guys can keep yourselves warm when you're cold. You can, you can do twice this amount of work. And then kind of thrown in at the end, kind of like a, you know, an offhanded remark in the book of Ecclesiastes, the writer says, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And I just think about that third strand that exists all the time in all of our relationships. Every single time 
we are engaged with the other or the others. God is in the midst there. And when God gets entwined with all of our ropes, well, anything is possible with God. May you remember that you are more beautiful because you've been broken. There's also a question that came in over online, um, but why don't we get through your questions? And we'll we can do that. Yeah, whatever you want to do. Finish, finish the questions. Then. Well, these are just generative questions. Yeah. yeah. So the question yeah. for clarification was, what's the difference between holding a grudge and setting boundaries? And and I think I think you answered it somewhat, but I think it's, it bears repeating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, uh, this this distinguishing factor was set up by. Um, the author Bell, and what he said was that when you are actively working to, um, to uh, so there's actions behind this, and you're creating, uh, I would say, repetitive ways of, of um, not setting boundaries, but, but creating uh, the freeze space, you know, where you refuse, you refuse to engage. Um, that has gone to the part where you're not actually in the process of forgiving. So when you experience this, this place where there's a brokenness in relationship, uh, part of your care, part of your self-care in that, in that space is, some, is to create the space so that you can do the healing. You recognize when you're doing that. You recognize when you don't have the capacity to be able to deal with the other person. You understand um, where you need to create some boundaries so you can get a little bit more healthy, um, where you need to walk away from the relationship. Um, you recognize that. Holding the grudge is when you're actively doing something and you're cognitive about it. Does that help? Yeah. Do you have any more thoughts about that? No, I think okay. I also think that running through grudge holding is resentment. Thank you. Right? And that's the, that's the, that's kind of the, and usually when someone's setting boundaries, they're practicing what I like from Al-Anon. There's a, there's a, a term that gets used that you detach with love. And really what that means is you set boundaries. You don't rescue. You, you don't enable but that doesn't mean you stop caring for that individual. And um, I think with, 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 um, with grudges, there's always an element of resentment. Uh, that person is renting space in your head, you're obsessing about them. It's actually, to really nurse a good grudge, you have to kind of actually have no boundaries. Mm. That person has to eat their way into everything you do. And you wake up in the morning and say, and another thing, Manisha. Um, you know, that's, that's a grudge, right? Um, that kind of thing. So that, that's how I would kind of parse it. I love that. That is so helpful. Yeah, I was thinking about Pamela's question from online and, and, your, and your presentation of Bell, and I wonder if there's something in between those two extremes as well for us to wonder about, and that is um, the idea, because I've seen people do this, um, they're not actively holding a grudge, 
I don't believe, but they're not actually actively making boundaries either. They're just writing people off. That's it, you know? And they, maybe they, they, they've made some overtures about forgiveness or reconciliation, and they're like, I don't wanna deal with you. Uh, so I don't know that they're actively doing the resenting. Maybe they are somewhere deep back in the back of their mind. But I think there's also a, a, an avenue that we, we can take as people to just write people off and just say, that's it, I'm done with you. Done. Out. And I, and I wonder if you know, we can, as Christians, push back on Bell a little bit to say, again, you know, because uh, we can let ourselves off the hook and say, well, I'm just writing good boundaries. You know? I can make all kinds of good boundaries and keep everybody out. Um, so these were just generative questions. I'd love to hear what you think, you practitioners of forgiveness and receiving forgiveness. Question. Yes. Um, here we go. We discuss everybody's at They're following along, William. They want to hear what you say. <laughs> well, my question was for Father Chris. Do you believe that the boundary could possibly be no more communication with this person? Um, and can't that be done from a place of peace? Yeah. Or, you know, or not? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, you know, in fact, um, I think uh, some of our psychologists can also help with this, but yes, yes, certainly Bell indicates that. He, he doesn't think that the termination of a toxic relationship is holding a grudge, right? The termination of the toxic relationship is really good for you. He says something really interesting, though. He says, Remember, that's not, that's not forgiving. Forgiving happens after you deal with the trauma. So let's say you, you ended a toxic relationship. You still have the work of forgiveness. And what he recommends is that you go, don't go to talk to that person who has been toxic to you, but you talk to someone who's just like them to try to understand what they're thinking and what they're... I, I find that extraordinary. Like, you know, don't talk to the person who harmed you, but you do have a responsibility to find someone who you might recognize would do the same thing and ask them, tell me about yourself. Tell me what you're thinking. Tell me how... Fascinating. John Keck has a question. Yeah, this is a, about my mom. Um, I had a mom who was bitter about life and was pretty mean and kind of a B word. And so I sort of grew up with that. And so for 50 years, I was pissed at her at what she'd done to my life. And I have to say, I was in the Wednesday morning um, prayer meeting. Father Bill was there once. And you said, turn it on and off. And there was a day when we were talking about forgiveness, and I turned it off. Mm. And I have to tell you, I had a lot of free time. <laughs> um, but here's one silly question, maybe. But I really have forgiven her, and it just was wonderful. But I was kind of nasty to her toward the end. Could she forgive me? And um, how would I know if she did? I love that. I love that. Is she alive? No. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So she's not alive, so you cannot go and seek forgiveness from her as she well. She doesn't know that I forgave her. If she, was alive. she doesn't even know that. I would say she does know she, you forgave her. But I hear what you're saying. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting because uh, there's off, there's the, the number one question that people ask about forgiveness is, well, how can you forgive someone or be forgiven by someone if they're dead, right? I mean, it's like, okay, everything stopped. All that kind of work of reconciliation that was possible is gone now. Um, 
I, I'm, I'm going to say a couple things, and I'm actually going to turn it over to Father Bill, who does work on reconciliation um, and probably has had to deal with this in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. But um, the work of forgiving is, is, um, can be irrespective of the person. Um, so, so you can do the work of, in this case, um, receiving forgiveness, right? Um, because you are willing to accept the responsibility, you're willing to repent, you're willing to believe that you've been forgiven. And um, I would just add to that, that as Christians, we strongly believe that. We, we believe that, um, you know, that's part of our faith, is to say that the work um, is not ended at death. Life is changed, not ended. And so when we all um, appear before Christ, are refined in the refiner's fire, um, there is hope that there can be nothing but the you know, that's when we lived in that fourth quadrant, right? <laughs> that's what it's going to look like. It's going to look like this just constant receiving and, and being forgiven and, and the joy that happens in that space. And so, yes, your mother has forgiven you in the name of Jesus Christ. Please, Hunter. Uh, following on what you said, John, and, and Manisha, your response, it quickly made me pull out this and check and say, do I remember this right? Is this line, we acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins? And uh, it was only because of one of these sessions that I did some uh, leadership of a session that I really dug into that line. Otherwise, I don't think it would have jumped out to me. So, um, so John, my thought around it is just as Manisha says that Faith and, and forgiveness are so closely tied that it's a foregone conclusion that your mother would forgive you, has forgiven you, because we are all already forgiven through Christ. I, I wanted to just add a, a few really quick things that came from when you talked about um, what does not forgiving do to our own behavior. I realized that... Um, when I don't forgive, I probably then use that negative frame of reference for everything else I see that person do wrongly. Nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I yeah. Um, wondered, I, I've got a long list of forgiving that I need to do. I probably should do a little more thinking about places I need to be forgiven. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Hunter. Chris has got Anybody else? Raise your hand as Hannah's speaking, but listen to Hannah, too. Hi, everybody. Um, oh, I hope I'm not emotional. Um, I just, I was looking at pictures this morning. I am four years and nine months sober, and I was looking at myself at pictures of when I was going to a retreat to get sober. I didn't know it. I thought I was codependent, and I'm probably that, too, but... Um, just this whole calcified heart is what I went in there feeling and I saw this picture and it just it had movement to it in the withdrawn look and as I'm now becoming five years sober and looking at myself and I'm starting to open up my heart and learning how to love um, and I'm 
you know, searching for a person to accommodate me, no, accompany me, not accommodate, accompany, accompany me in my path of life um, in terms of a spouse. Um, again, that would be someone that is of goodness and full of God's mercy and love, um, as I have grown to know, and I know that I'm learning even more every day. But uh, yesterday I was at a party and I just, I guess my, I realized that I have a wall against men in general. And I think this is maybe a universal thought, question, um, going into something where men are interested in me, but I just put up a wall. How, how do we as people, I'm not using very good language right now, but subjugated to situations, overcome that with anybody, I guess anybody, but if there's somebody that's hurt us in general, like in, in a large population, how do you overcome that? How do you forgive that? Yeah. If that making sense. Yeah, thank you, Hannah. Thank you for, first of all, congratulations. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Um, and, and, uh, and thank you for that really honest question. What I heard, um, if I can generalize, is that um, when we have experienced uh, pain from others, um, maybe even consistent pain, um, and, and how, do, how do we become open to, to possibly experiencing that pain again, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, how, how are we supposed to do that? And I, I just want to recall, you know, the, the idea of the rope. Uh, when, we, when we come to a place where we understand that human life is made up of broken ropes that are tied back up together again, you have a little bit more freedom. You, you're a little bit more kinder to yourself. There is no way for you to understand what's going to happen in the future. You can only trust what you're able to do today. And, um, and today, if you step out vulnerably and you trust in yourself, you trust in God, and you trust in the other, that is amazing. That is, that is profound and courageous. That is you being the best possible human being you know how to be. There's no guarantee of what's going to happen. None. I want to just add one other thing, if it's okay, uh, just because... Um, it's something, what, what you're identifying is, is something I can relate to. Um, what happens when people are struggling with addiction is oftentimes it's, it's strong emotions that are uh, anesthetized by the drug of choice, right? So that's, that's how you get the, 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 a sense of self, a sense of wholeness, a sense of peace, um, and actually, uh, that, that use of that intoxicant is a way to cope. And then when you take it away, uh, or you give it up, or what happens, um, there, there's, the, there's something that, that, that remains that stood behind the use, right? Which is, you know, many people who struggle with addiction, for them, emotions are infinite. You never experience just anger. You experience, like, anger that goes on for days. And so part of the reason why a drug of choice becomes a good idea is you needed to just get some kind of moderation 
of the hurt or the anger or sometimes even the joy. Sometimes all the things that you, the strong emotions you feel. And so what I hear you saying is part of the problem is that, you know, you have developed this incredibly good discipline to, to maintain sobriety and that's a blessing. Um, and the challenge is when you get into a relationship where you have to let down that wall, you're going to have all of that, that vulnerability, as Manisha was saying, comes into play. And that's, the, that's where the terror is, right? Because in the past, when you would experience strong emotion, you would just go to your drug of choice. And then you'd feel better. Which, which and just to say, that's what most of us do who are not an addicts. It's just that addicts do it more often, is my little pet theory. Right? And, um, and, and, and so the challenge is when you, you know, part of the reason why forgiveness is so key is, is that's kind of the, the preferred coping mechanism. That's the one that actually helps growth rather than hinders it. Because when you're turning to your drug of choice, then you're actually not growing. You're kind of staying freeze-dried as a human being. And that's why you run into that problem. And the final thing I would want to say is, um, the most important thing that I'd want to say from all that I just said is um, your emotions are not infinite. Um, one of the things that Claire said to me that has been just wisdom, and it was something because my family was so enmeshed in addiction, like I never knew how this, I, I didn't know how to behave in normal ways. And um, one of the things that Claire said to me that was just so common sense, she said, where you're gonna feel this way until you're done feeling this way, and then you'll stop feeling this way. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, that's, it's just, that's just brilliant. Like, where did you get that? She's like, I don't, it's just like, that's how normal human beings function. You just happen to be special. <laughs> and, um, and so I know that sounds weird, but like if you go into relationships, forgiveness is key, but also knowing that your emotions are not gonna overwhelm you. You, you don't have to lose them. And that was kind of the emotional intelligence that you were getting at. I just wanted to add that. Can you say yeah. more about emotional intelligence? I, I think what you said was beautiful, yeah. And I think, I think that was absolutely, I think we all needed to hear that. <laughs> Forgiveness is not an on and off switch, but a process. And it occurred to me that I think I might have a toggle switch going, where I wonder if you could talk about forgiveness as a, is there a point of arrival? Um, because not being Christ, I think I do a, I, in my, you know, supreme personal development, forgive you today. Tomorrow, not so much on the same topic. I'm going to pull it right back out and be resentful and mad. But today, I'm going to really dwell in this feeling of forgiveness. And I don't think that that back and forth is um, getting me to the sort of wholeness of completion of forgiveness that we're seeking. Yeah. Um, I, I've, heard, I've heard forgiveness um, compared to a volume button, like, you know, Turn it up, turn it down, turn it up, turn it down. Um, and, and I think, I think the point um, that I was hoping to make about it not being an on-off switch is to say 
that um, if you all of a sudden today say, I've forgiven you, and tomorrow you find that you're back and that you don't beat yourself up for that, that you understand that, that forgiveness has this mysterious component to it. And why does it have that? Um, and again, if we're, we're talking about you forgiving someone else, it's because you have been hurt. And that hurt is real. It, it is not something that is, is, can be easily ignored. Um, and, that, and so tending to that, to that hurt, being tender to yourself, but also maybe showing tenderness to the other. Um, if you're in a deep relationship in which, um, in which someone has harmed you, let's start there. If you're in a relationship where someone has harmed you, uh, their trauma is just as real as yours, even if they were the perpetrator. There's still deep suffering happening there. Um, and so, so maybe part of the forgiveness role is to recognize that and to step into that space. We're both, we're both hurting. We're both suffering here. Um, your suffering is not the same as mine, and there's some work that I'm going to have to do that you aren't going to be able to do um, as I begin the work of forgiveness, but we're both suffering. And that, and that to me is, is again, um, part of being a human in the midst of, of a difficult, difficulty and suffering. Right? But once again, when you are acting in that, not reacting, but when you're acting and trying to create creative spaces for yourself and the other, you are thriving. You are doing extraordinary work. May you realize that. Um, may you know you're doing it with God as well. So, I, I'm way over time, loves. I'm so sorry. Um, so, wasn't that the most amazing presentation? That was so <laughs> unbelievable. Thanks. Unbelievable. Thank you, thank you. And, and um, we continue this on Wednesday, right? Father Chris, Wednesday, yeah. Wednesday night. Okay, bless you guys, thanks. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations at Christ Church Cranbrook. To learn more about our mission, worship services, and learning opportunities, please visit us at ChristChurchCranbrook.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at ChristChurchCranbrook. We look forward to you joining us again, and may God bless you now and always.